0: Welcome to the I Will Teach You A Language podcast, weekly doses of language learning tips and motivation to help you become fluent in any language, with me, Ollie Richards. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the I Will Teach You A Language podcast. I hope you're having a fantastic day. I am because I've just started my Italian project, which I've been teasing you with for a while. I, I, I'm sitting out to learn Italian. I'll talk more about this in a little bit more depth in future episodes. But um, if you're interested in Italian and or you'd like to see me learning Italian live as I document it step by step on my blog and on YouTube, then uh, the best thing to do is to make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel and that you're on my email list, because then what I'll be doing is uploading videos, sending out stuff about this as i as i learn as i record it's gonna be very interesting i'm doing no speaking for the first month how about that ollie is uh changing his ways <laughs> so no speaking for the first month after at the end of the project i'm also going to travel to italy to be tested Kind of, I guess, in a way, because I actually want to see what I've managed to achieve, but also because I just think it will make for a nice video, to be honest, if I actually go to Italy and, you know, it's a nice combination to the project. Anyway, lots more coming up about that. Make sure you subscribe to my email list and uh, on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to to YouTube as well to get updates about that. Really, really exciting. Also, as we listen to this, we are in the middle of uh, enrolment for German Uncovered. So you're going to want to... Look out for that if you are on the interest list. Uh, if you're not on the interest list, you've got to be quick, because only a few days left, so you can go to germanuncovered.com and you will probably catch the end of the emails that are going out about that. We've got lots of students enrolled already, and it's, uh, it's fantastic to see the reaction. So lots going on, but today we've got something totally different. Today we've got a fantastic conversation. I really enjoyed this one with Shannon Kennedy from eurolinguist.com. Shannon is... uh, she has a very, very interesting background. She's a musician like me. She kind of had this transition from Romance languages to Asian languages, a bit like me. We talk about all of this stuff. But anyway, before we get into the interview, I'd like to thank the wonderful sponsors of the show. italki.com. It's the place where you can get language lessons with professional tutors, speaking partners, whoever it may be. If you are one of these people who's been kind of learning away for a while but has yet to start speaking then the best thing you can do right now for your languages is to go to iwillteachyoualanguage.com forward slash free lesson. And then you're going to get some free credit that you can use to take some trial lessons with some teachers and start speaking. Trust me, if you haven't done that yet, it will change your life when you do. All right, then. So it's time to get into today's conversation with Shannon. It's a long one, but, you know, I think if you're interested in it, then you want to hear the whole thing, right? If you're not interested in it, well... (laughs) Yeah, you'll turn it off anyway. So that's the way I see it anyway. So we, with Shannon, we talk about minimalism in the language sphere. We talk about introversion and shyness and how that affects uh, language learning, how it's affected Shannon in her, in her learning. I talk a bit about that as well from my perspective. We talk about moving from romance languages to Asian languages. And we also talk a lot about jazz. So if you're a music fan, you're going to get a lot out of this as well. I don't think there's anything more to say. So without any further ado, I give you Shannon Kennedy. Okay, I'm here with Shannon Kennedy, aka Eurolinguist. Is that right? Yes, the that's right. right. Pronunciation.
1: <laughs> Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you too. Thanks for having me.
0: No, you're, you're very welcome. Tell me about Eurolinguist. linguist. How, how did that? What's the story behind that particular name?
1: Um, the story behind it is that I was at university studying music. And as a part of my degree, I needed to learn to read fluently in several European languages. So uh, I started to document that process and some of the things that I was doing. And because it was all European languages, I thought Eurolinguist was appropriate. So that's kind of the story behind the name.
0: Yeah, cool. <laughs> and of course, you run neurolinguist.com. And you've been, yes. you've been blogging there for just as long as me, I think. It's been quite some time now, right?
1: A few years, yeah. A
0: few years, yeah. Do you enjoy the blogging side of languages?
1: I do. I enjoy sharing the process and, you know, connecting with other people. And the blog kind of gives me a platform to do that. So
0: I do. Yeah. It, it definitely does give you, it opens doors, doesn't it, to have a blog or, you know, anyone you want to reach out to, people pay attention if you say, you know, I, I have this website. As, as long as it doesn't look totally like nineteen ninety-eight <laughs> sort of blog style, then people usually take you quite seriously, don't they? Yeah. Seems too okay. So we um when we were deciding what to chat about, we kind of went back and forth a little bit with lots of different topics and um I was just saying to you before we started here that they're kind of really random topics, but but actually I really like them because a lot of the, the the topics that we talked about, are, are interest that we share. So I thought it would be just be really interesting just to kind of go back and forth on a few of these topics and see see where it takes us. Um, the one that I'm I'm most curious about is what you've called minimalism in the language sphere. So tell me about that. What is what's minimalism in the language sphere?
1: All right. Well, you're familiar with the concept of minimalism, right? Sure. Where basically less is more. So you have more appreciation and more gratitude for what you have by having less. And you're also be able to be more fulfilled in a way I suppose with less. So for me, minimalism and language learning is applying that, that kind of mindset to learning a language. So rather than hoarding all of the resources, which I am a total book lover, so I tend to have lots of books. Um, that's the one thing that I haven't been able to fully minimize, but, um, for me, it's all about using less and getting more out of the fewer things that you use. So rather than trying to work with, you know, 10 different resources at the same time, I'll actually limit myself and force myself to be more creative within those confines, kind of like with music. So, you know, when you're you're a jazz pianist, so you understand mm-hmm. improvisation. So when you're practicing improvisation, sometimes you set limitations on what you're going to work through yeah. while you're practicing. And in, by setting those limitations, it allows you to be more creative and it allows you to get more out of the practice session than if you didn't have those
0: limitations. I remember, so I mean. I remember having improvisation lessons and um, my te- I would be sitting at the piano with my teacher. And he'd, you know, he'd be listening to me improvising and he'd say, right, now I want you to just, the only notes you're allowed to use, you're only allowed to improvise within this octave of the keyboard. Or you're only allowed to use these four notes, or something like that. And it's exactly what you said: is that the idea that by restricting what's available to you, you, you're forced to think outside the box and do things differently. So th- tell me about how this this would manifest itself in, in language practice. Then, so you've got, for example, ten books, and so you're going to actually say to yourself, right, I've got ten books, but I'm actually only going to use what say two of them here. What would that look like in in, in practice?
1: Well, for me, I think one of the things that I used to do, let's take Italian, for instance. So let's say you have your Italian coursebook and you start working through it. You get through the first three chapters or so and you get to a concept that's maybe a little bit challenging. So rather than having no choice but to work through that, you take that coursebook, you set it aside and you pick up the next one and you kind of repeat this process. So rather than really going deep with the language and getting to that next step, you keep kind of hovering in the same area. So you learn horizontally rather than learning vertically. So you don't really move forward with the language. Whereas if you limit yourself to a certain number of resources, you have no choice but to take that next step to tackle that next chapter, even if you find it a little bit challenging or a little bit intimidating. So the way that this works is you you take that next step and then you work through those resources and you limit yourself to them so that you really make the most of them. And another way that you can do this too is that when you limit yourself to the number of resources you use, you really force yourself to get the most out of that particular resource. So it allows you to be a little bit more creative. So rather than just going through the motions and doing the exercises and reading the explanations and just, just keep turning the page, when you limit yourself to the number of resources you use, you're forced to look at that resource and say, OK, what can I do to get the most out of this resource? Are there any other ways that I can use this to get um, what I need to get out of this material?
0: And so when you say resources, you'd be, you'd be talking about like what? textbooks and any, anything else that you that you have in mind you it can
1: about- really be done with anything so if you have a course book you know you look through the example dialogues and things like that and so rather than just having the example dialogue and then answering the questions about the dialogue or looking at the key vocabulary that they've decided is the key vocabulary for you you can look for patterns in the sentence structures you can do other things you can use those dialogues to read out loud, work on the pronunciation. You can record yourself reading those dialogues so that you can hear back what you sound like. Okay. If um, you have an audio resource, you can practice dictation. You can practice shadowing. You can practice call and response. So someone says something, you pause it and give yourself time to respond. Um, one of the like, and then maybe you respond. You create your own response to whatever's going on in the dialogue rather than what's scripted as a part of the dialogue, or you use the dialogue as an example and use those replies. So there's a lot of yeah. different ways you can really get a lot of
0: it. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, though, because right? I think originally I was wondering, like, well, does this mean, you know, if, you, if you're kind of working through your textbook and you're stuck on a set of grammar exercises, that you force yourself to get all of those exercises right before you move on? But I guess what you're actually saying is not, not so much that, but actually with the kind of raw language material that you get in those resources. Like, what more can you do with, with that stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly... Uh, it, it, it's it's clear that you've thought about this quite a lot, the kind of minimalism side of it. Is this something that you've been, like... that you've been, like, kind of actively trying to develop or refine, or is it is it something that you've just found yourself naturally doing?
1: I think it's something that came naturally out of trying to apply most concepts to other aspects of my life. So when I'm going through my physical possessions or digital possessions in a way, and I'm trying to get rid of things. So is this essential? Is this not essential? Do I really need this? Does this work for me? Does this, you know, bring joy to me by having it? So when I'm going through those things and I'm getting rid of stuff, naturally my language resources, whether that's bookmarks, you know, in my internet browser, or if it's actual physical textbooks or actual You know, audio in my iTunes library by reducing, I'm forced to. I keep using the word "forced" today. Sorry, I'm.
0: (laughs) You're forcing yourself. It's it's a form. I put
1: myself into a position where I need to reevaluate what I have still, and see what I can do to find value in those things because those are the things that I've decided to keep. And in deciding that, it means that I found value in that. So then, it's all about trying to get as much
0: of that value out of those things i mean and what jumps out to me from what you were saying is that is that the fact that it's very intentional you're not just saying okay well i've got 10 books let's chuck out eight of them and just use two of them <laughs> you're 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 kind of going through a process of actually deciding uh you know what 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 do i like here you know what's proving effective and as i might interpret i think i might interpret what you're saying as kind of look, looking through what you're saying through like my my lens if you like the lesson I take from that is to 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 experiment with things until you find the resources that you really that are, that you're sure are beneficial for you and that you're getting something out of. And then once you've found that resource, don't be tempted to, to jump to other things like a butterfly and and not make the most out of as of that that thing that you that you found that you like, right? Absolutely. So, so often yeah, I mean so often the, the you can get so much more by going in into depth with something than you can um by by just by moving on to the next the next thing i wonder if this like how this might change at different stages of the process because like one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot recently is that you know it's very difficult to control when you learn things right you you can study you know i have been thinking a lot about german recently um, and you're t- talking to german learners About what they've about their experiences with German. One of the things that keeps coming up over and over again is grammar, grammar, grammar. You know, the case system, um, things like that. And it's very difficult to control whether or not you learn something. You can say, okay, okay, I set out, I'm going to set out to learn the case system in German. But you can't control whether or not you learn that thing. All you can control is what are the actions that you take on a daily basis that might result in you learning. That thing, and part of that might be, for example, spending lots of time um, uh, listening and reading to German that will give you examples of how that case system is being used. And but one of the things that I, I find like with this is is sometimes it, it can be very very like that that balance between when to move on and when to stick is a difficult one It's a difficult call. Because on the one hand, like I said, you know, you've got to go deep with something to get the most out of it. And for me, like the, the, the easiest way to do that is through lots of repetition on once. On, on, once you've got a good resource, it's lots and lots of repetition to make sure that you get the most out of it. But by the same, on the, on the other hand, you've also got to move on to lots of different things. Because unless you actually do listen to or unless you do uh, expose yourself to lots of different material in the language, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going to make any progress. So I, I find myself kind of in these in these two in these two camps at the moment with um, with this question, and I'm not, I'm not totally sure where I come down on. I think it's probably a bit of both, you know, jumping from like using lots of different things, but then when you've got that thing that you like, then doubling down on it.
1: I think for me it depends on what stage you're at. Yeah. So if I'm at the beginning stage, I might. Jump around a little bit more and experiment with lots of different things because at that point I'm just trying to get input and exposure to the language. Whereas when I'm at a more intermediate or perhaps advanced level, then I might buckle down and focus in a little bit more. So I can, for example, say I'm not super great at particles in Japanese. Sorry, there's a truck. It's okay. Do you want to wait? No, for... no, it's
0: okay. Go, go, go. Okay. People understand. Them. Okay. We live in season. <laughs> Um, I remember so, a conversation I had with uh with, with Steve Kaufman, the video we recorded, his phone rang like ten times during the call. <laughs> and he just answered the phone on the video and then published the video with the with him answering the phone. And it's like, you know. If he can do that, then we can we can keep talking <laughs> over it.
1: <laughs> Through a truck. <laughs> yeah. Um so with Japanese particles, you know, I know that I still need that's an area that I need to work on. And at the more intermediate phase with Japanese. Perhaps before at the beginning, I would have ignored particles a little bit more just to keep the momentum that I had and being able to immerse and get my point across. But now that I'm at a higher level, I can't really get away with that anymore. So then I'll take a step back and say, okay, now I need to work on this. Now I need to focus on this. And so now I need to find the resources that are going to support me in this one thing and be more selective at that point.
0: How have you uh, have you found anything particularly useful for the Japanese particle question? Because it's a, it's a tough one, isn't it? <laughs> you know, so it, 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 the, the difference between uh, nando ka ka to iu koto or to iu koto ga to koto wa, like it's like it's very fine, and it depends so much on the context of everything that you're the, that's going on. Have you found mm. anything that's that's been? helpful
1: with uh, with that helpful um, practice honestly writing sentences getting them corrected by native speakers um doing lots of videos and getting corrections on those as well for that i would have to say that uh production in the language is the most helpful thing because when you're trying to use them it creates a really good learning opportunity for you because one you're forcing yourself to think about it in a way that's more active than just kind of reading through things or um, you know, trying to memorize rules, because you can memorize rules and know the rules, but when you're actually doing it in practice, that's a completely different story. And again, I'm going to relate back to music because I know you get it. So mm. when you're studying improvisation, you can study chords and you can study like two five one, and you know that it goes in that particular order or you can study rhythm changes, and in principle, you understand that the, the way that it works. But when you actually go to sit down and improvise, it's a completely different experience than understanding the theory and actually applying it. So I find it's mm. the same for language. So as much reading about particles as I can do, I can say, okay, I understand this, but now I need to take it to the next step and actually use it. And I, to me, that's just, they're, do, they're kind of separate and you have to do both. Sure. They go hand in hand. But so for me, when I'm really trying to master something, I,
0: I use it. Well, with, with jazz improvisation, you know, they say that you, do you practice, uh, in order to be able to uh forget about that practice when you come to play you know so you practice chord progressions and improvisations so that when you actually come and sit down to play you can you can just do whatever you want and you know it's like that mission that, that common misinterpretation about jazz they just they people people look at jazz musicians and, and they think okay well, he's just playing what he feels man you know he's just like you know he's just Everything he's playing is based on feeling, and what they don't see is all the the practice. And it looks like it does look like that, right? It looks like some you know guy standing there improvising a solo on on the tenor, and it looks like he's just you know because he is there, he's very much in the moment, responding to everyone else in the in the in the group. But what they don't see is all the hours that he spent practicing different substitutions over rhythm changes or or, or whatever, so that he can actually he's got the facility to do that to do that freely. And I guess it's the same. I mean, mistakes are part of that, aren't they? I mean, there are some fantastic examples. Of some of my favourite solo, jazz solos are where um, you get someone who makes a sort of real clang of a mistake in the middle of an improvisation, but he kind of he acknowledges that and he kind of plays around with it and makes it a feature of, of the solo, and it becomes a feature of the personality of that soloist and, and that improvisation. And it's really great to. It's much. Better to hear that, much more interesting to hear that than some kind of clinical, uh, memorised solo or someone that's playing it safe, you know. And I guess with language it's the same, right? So with the particle question, when you actually sit down to have a conversation in Japanese, there's no point you worrying about whether you've said or, or and if it's right or wrong. The other person's going to understand you anyway. So it, it really doesn't matter. Um, although you kind of have to aim to... To get it right, then you still. If you don't, if you never have that intention to get it right, then 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 you're never going to get it. You mentioned videos. You're recording videos and having them corrected. What do you? What videos do you record for that?
1: Um, so I basically um, will pick a topic, um, mm. whatever I feel like in the moment, or perhaps if I'm participating in like the Ad Challenge and there's maybe something that's kind of decided for me. I'll do that and so what I'll do is I'll kind of prepare and I'll study vocabulary around the topic and what grammar structures I might might need to know. And then when I feel prepared, I sit down and hit the record button and I talk about the topic. I try to aim for about two minutes. Um, When I'm at the beginning stages, I try to aim for maybe 30 seconds to a minute Um, and I Publish it and then I send it to my tutors and my tutors watch the videos and then during my next lesson they walk through the mistakes with me and let me know what I need to work on.
0: How much time do you spend studying languages on a weekly basis?
1: <laughs> oh. Um I would say it's probably one of my primary hobbies. So um I mean, I have a full-time job, so I commute to work. I have an hour in the car each way. I use that to listen to audio. Uh, when I get home, I do vocabulary study and reading in the languages. I do um, at least one lesson a week uh, on my active languages, not so much on the languages that I'm not focusing on. Um, and then on the weekends, I do, like, some book study, so maybe an hour or two, depending. Um, so several hours a week. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm always fascinated with how much time people actually spend learning languages because I, I like for me I'm I'm not a fan of studying you know I, I my whole history with languages has been mainly just kind of speaking and communicating that's that's what I really like but um I found that the harder language as my sort of language learning habits have changed over the years I've had to adopt different habits to um to sort of cater for those so you know something I often talk about is how like when I was younger learning my first languages, in particular, you know, French, Spanish, Portuguese. I had a lot of friends who spoke those languages. Uh, I was lucky to live in London, where we have lots of international people. So I could kind of go and hang out with, with people, be surrounded by, that, by those languages, and over time, learn to speak them. And it was a very kind of natural process. But more recently, when I've been learning uh, harder languages, like Japanese, Cantonese, Arabic it doesn't really work like that. And I think one of the main reasons is that I just, I can't do what I did before, which is just kind of go out and live in that environment. Um, and I have much less time. also back at that time I was a student as well, so I had so much free time. Now I I have to really carve out the time that I spend uh, on languages. They're much harder languages that I'm learning. I don't have the environment. So I'm kind of having to, um, reinvent. I feel like I'm having to reinvent my approach to, to this stuff, uh, on a annual basis or sometimes a monthly basis, depending on what, you know, what on earth is going on in my life. Um, how, how have you found that? Because this is, this, this is the, this is my attempt to segue into the next topic, which was the moving from romance to Asian languages. Um, <laughs> so ha, ha, did you, I take it you went from romance to Asian as languages as well, a bit like, a bit like um,
1: romance to Slavic to Asian and okay. then back to Slavic. So um, how would you
0: characterize that journey then?
1: I would agree with you that my study methods and routines are constantly evolving. Uh, I feel like with romance languages, like my experience was a little bit different than yours. So, my early experience was mostly time studying. And it was only in the last couple of years that I started to go with the more communicative approach and change the way that I had been doing things because. As I said, in the past, my focus wasn't necessarily to be able to communicate in the languages that I had been learning. It was to be able to read in them and do research in them. Um, Because you were
0: studying at college, right?
1: Right. Uh, So when I got to the point where that was no longer my goal, because I had finished at university, um, and my goal became uh, became to use these languages... I started having to change the way that I was approaching my study, because if I did the same things that I did when I was in school, just open up my course book and work through things and learn a ton of vocabulary, it didn't really serve me in the same way in this new context. So I am constantly changing the things that I do. And even with like languages like German and Italian and Spanish and French, um, like my first language, I spent a lot of time studying but it gave me kind of a foot in the door for those other romance languages that I started to learn. So I didn't have to do it in the same way. But then when I went and I picked up Croatian, suddenly it felt like I had to work so much harder for the same things. And I think most importantly is not to get discouraged by that because, you know, um, as community manager for the Edmodo challenge, I see sometimes of people who learn Spanish and they tend to learn fairly quicker than people who are learning other languages like yeah. Polish or Japanese or Korean. And when the Korean, Japanese, or Polish learners see the Spanish, French, Thai learners just kind of zooming through, they think that maybe they're doing something wrong, but it's not the case. You just have a slightly thicker barrier to get through. Um, but once you get there and you start to recognize some of the vocabulary, like for example with uh, Korean, Japanese, and, and Chinese now, there's. I, I didn't have any overlap at all learning Chinese. Everything was completely new, having to deal with this completely different writing system, having to deal with this completely different, you know, set of vocabulary, style of grammar. But now that I had that, when I started to learn Japanese and Korean, I kind of had my foot in the door with Chinese. So, I wish I even had. Though, that. <laughs> Well, I mean, you have Cantonese, Japanese. I don't know if there's yeah, any. But I can't things. read
0: any of it. Well, I can, but not 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 <laughs> not, 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 not uh, as much as I'd like. Sorry, I tried to do career.
1: Oh no, it's fine. I mean, it's just all about being patient with yourself and understanding that it's different, and that's what you've decided to do. But. I mean, there's like the whole thing that some languages are harder to learn than others. But for me, the easiest languages to learn are the ones that I want to learn. And once I've decided I want to learn them, that desire to, I guess, in a way, have that language keeps me going through like in Russian having to deal with cases or verbs of motion or Mm. with uh, Japanese having to deal with three completely different writing systems and all of the different pronunciations that come with kanji and that frustration when you have those wins becomes like it's even more worth it because you had to work so much harder to get it. And you can say, "I, I guess it again, music, it's kind of the same thing when you create a recording or when you do something or you have a performance, it's something that you can say like all of this hard work went to become that. And that's what makes it worth it. And so it's like with French and Spanish, they feel like easier wins. Like I know if I set aside Italian for a year that I can come back to it and Fairly quickly pick it back up, but I can't do the same thing with Japanese, Chinese, or Korean. So I feel like what I've worked for, I feel in a way more rewarded by that.
0: Sometimes. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I if I think about the languages that I'm most like I, the most rewarding for, that feel most rewarding, they're not the languages that I'm best at by any stretch. Mm. Um, you know, particularly for Japanese, like for me, because I that was when that was the language when I kind of had to figure out how to do things all over again. And it was the first non-European language I was living in Japan, um, which I find throws up a whole different set of questions and challenges when you live abroad as well. And, and I, the, the approach I, I, I used for my other languages didn't work with Japanese because I didn't have that invi- even though I was living in Japan, I didn't have a group of friends who were just talking to me all the time. And Anyway, the the feeling of satisfaction and and um, the rewarding feeling that I got when I finally did kind of make it through to the other end and, and I could then start to communicate and enjoy my time speaking Japanese I mean, that was just so that that tasted so sweet because I really had to work for it whereas you know like you said with with, with earlier European languages it, it just wasn't so. I mean, yeah, I had to work for it, but it it was, it just felt so natural. It was the most natural thing in the world. You know, one thing I was thinking, uh, I always find it interesting talking to people that did languages at university because I really wish I did. Uh, I, you know, I didn't start learning languages till I was 20, 21 or, well, 20, that that kind of time. And it was in my spare time. I look at people that did languages at uni and I'm so jealous of them because it's just like, you know, you just sit around. It looks like you just sit around for three or four years and, and then you come come out the other end, and you have a couple of languages, and um, and I know it's not quite like that. But what what's interesting is that you you do kind of have time, don't you? When you're I don't know what it's like over there, but certainly here, a language degree is four years, and obviously you know most people study two languages at uni, and that's without other electives that they can take as well. So you've got four years of classes plus a year abroad. You just learn. You can just you know you have to have so much time and you have to do it because you're there. It's very, very different, isn't it? From, Or it certainly seems very different from someone now, you know, turning around as an adult with everything that comes with being an adult and, and deciding, you know, I'm going to learn a new language now.
1: I think actually, so um, I didn't do languages uh, during my... Undergraduate degree. I got into it during my master's degree, which I did at Queen's University in Belfast. So I actually did it over there.
0: (laughs) Um, Was it a one year degree? uh, It was
1: it was a year and a half. Okay. Um, But I didn't do traditional courses like credited courses. There was actually um, like a European framework kind of side thing hosted at the library and so I registered for language classes through that. So they were things that I did in addition to my degree.
0: Um, what was your degree? Um,
1: it was in musicology.
0: Okay. So you were doing languages on the side then, whilst you? were. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So it wasn't really as part of university. It was just this thing that I did because the library offered it and you could get your European certificates at the end. Um, And I actually did more than I was allowed to do. I think there was a limit on the number that you could do, but because
0: The number of languages you could do.
1: Yeah, (laughs) through this program. um, And I wanted to do more, so I asked them if I could, and they said only if I got the teacher's permission. So I went to the tutors who taught the course and asked if I could register, and I was able to. But um, no, it it wasn't actually part of university, but uh, Belfast has a really, really great language area. So they have a uh, the language program and they have tutors uh, from for a lot of different languages. You get when you do the class, you get your European framework exam certificate at the end of it, and they have this really great section in the library specifically dedicated to languages where you can find all sorts of resources. At uh, the first time I had ever seen a Croatian resource was in that library. It was the Teach Yourself Croatian course. And it was just I, I think just because of that, that's probably why I got so into it and then having access.
0: So, so then, how I mean, how much time did you have available for languages as opposed to your actual degree time then? I mean, how, how did that work? Because it must because I mean, doing a, I know what it's like doing a master's, it's full <laughs> on. I mean, I did yeah. my master's distance whilst I was working full time and it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, just from a time management perspective, you know. So, I mean, how did that work? Did you just kind of, um,
1: I think um, I spent the majority of the time on my degree, but I did have the advantage of, you know, because I was in Ireland and I was alone except for, you know, some other family that I only visited on occasion. So basically I had other than, and when you do a master's degree, you don't have a ton of classes. So you have a couple of classes each week. So I basically just used all of my free time to either work on my degree or to study languages. And I didn't really... Do much else I probably could have and should have traveled more when I was well, I at mean, university but I
0: didn't. Free time is a it's a it's Parkinson's law isn't it when you're doing a, a master's like you know any free there's always more to do there's always more reading to do there's always yeah. more you can reference you know there's more kind of uh methodology frameworks you can read about to inform your studies there's there's this, there's always more you can do so I mean I I can imagine you really I mean, it's never the case that you kind of, you know, you, you get to like four or five o'clock in the evening and you think, oh, I'll just kind of relax and do nothing tonight because there's always more to be done, right? So I guess it, you know, it, it always comes back to, it comes back to carving out that time, doesn't it? And um, and, and and prioritizing what you, what you want to do. And of course, like, as we see over and over again with people that are successful with languages, you've got to want it. And when you want it, you'll find a way, you'll find a way to do it. And And if you you don 't want it badly enough, then there's only so much so many kind of t- tips and tricks that are actually going to help you. Tell me about the, the the idea of introversion because this is something that we 've both done stuff about before one of my most popular podcast episodes which i i, I can't i couldn 't say maybe i 'll look it up as, as we 're speaking but one of the, my most popular uh, podcast episodes was on the topic of introversion in language learning so tell me about about that um What's the relationship between introversion and shyness for you, and how is it how how have you encountered this phenomenon in your learning
1: um I'm both shy and an introvert so uh if you've ever met me in person, I tend to be really quiet and kind of keep to myself and I usually wait for other people to come up and talk to me if they don't I'm kind of i I might not go talk to them can you, um, can you
0: define introvert before we go any further of course so an different definitions of this don't they
1: yeah. Um an introvert is someone who gets their energy from being alone. So it doesn't mean that they don't like to be social and that they're not social. It's just where they re-energize is that alone time. Whereas an extrovert is someone who gets their energy from being around other people and they lose their energy by being alone. So it doesn't so in either case both can be shy. So a shy introvert would be someone who doesn't necessarily feel comfortable talking to people or being outgoing and they keep to themselves and they get their energy from being alone. So they find social situations kind of draining and intimidating. Uh, A shy extrovert would be someone who enjoys being around other people, but it takes them a little bit of time to warm up to those social situations. So, but once they get into them, they're very comfortable and they get their energy from them. Um, so that's kind of the difference. So either an extrovert or an introvert can be shy and an extrovert and an introvert can also be outgoing. So an Outgoing introvert would be someone who has no problem initiating conversations and being a part of conversations, but they still just find it draining, and they have to kind of have time on their own to re-energize to participate in those social situations once again.
0: I'm really tempted to invest to dive into this definition of, ext- of introversion and extroversion because I find it fascinating. Because I thought I, I feel like I'm all over the, the shop with this. I have characteristics from. Most people see me and they consider me an extrovert, but I'm, I, I, I don't feel... If you actually knew me, it, you know, I'm not really like that at all. Um, I feel like I can kind of turn it on. And there are certain... There are certain situations, social situations, where I, I just, I'm just i in my elements and others which I hate. And I also... But I also need lots of time to recharge. Um, so I find it very confusing, this this kind of topic. But... I think that's probably a conversation for another day. <laughs> Tell me about how you said you're a shy introvert. Is that the, t- the language you use? Yes. And so what, ha- what does that meant for you then in your, because the obvious implication of that, I, I, I guess, would be, well, what's it like for you going out there and practicing your languages with people? What, ha- talk, talk to me about that.
1: So initially, it meant that I didn't practice my languages at all, because I just didn't want to put myself out there. Um, Shyness is something that I wouldn't say you can get over it, but you can build habits and systems that help you overcome it in certain situations. So some of those things would be um, not trying to do like group events or meetups or things where you're around a lot of people and it might be overwhelming instead finding people that you can build relationships with. Um, So for me, a lot of my language practice is I find exchange partners or tutors that I'm comfortable around. And that's my primary source for practice. Um,
0: So one-to-one, one-on-one
1: one-on-one yeah Yeah. or I do it by myself so one of the things that I do is a lot of self-talks and you know like the videos that I was talking about Mm -hmm. earlier so rather than there's lots of ways to get speaking practice without conversing
0: and do you enjoy to what extent do you enjoy speaking languages with other people
1: I find it incredibly rewarding because for me uh again, you know, even though I'm shy and I'm introverted, it doesn't mean that I don't like to be social. I do enjoy engaging with people and I do enjoy certain social situations. And like you said, you know, it's something that I can turn on and off. Obviously, when I'm up on stage performing, I'm not like this in the corner trying to hide. I mean, I was like that, but I know that to be successful, I can't be like that. So it's something that you can work on and that you can develop. And do you
0: feel, do you ever feel that an instrument is like a, like a cloak or like a like a disguise,
1: Oh yeah, especially with saxophone because it's in front of you
0: right, because people aren't watching you, you you're kind like of a shield yeah you're shielded by by the the nature of the performance and the fact that you mm. when you kind of get up on stage, you're really uh, embodying something else, and you can kind of you can kind of hide behind the the performance element of it
1: mm. um, yeah, in a way, like a persona, so that's you as a performer as opposed to you as a person.
0: Right. Whereas, you know, because everyone gets nervous before performing, that's part of what it means to be a performer. But, you know, there's a a huge difference for me between, for example, getting up and and performing some music um, and getting up and then having to talk to the audience about whatever.
1: But again, the microphone can be a shield.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember <laughs> I have these memories of like doing jazz gigs when I was younger and I'd love playing, but I'd just be terrified of the bits where I had to go and talk to the audience. Cause I just wouldn't know what to say. And part of that, I think is also just me not never actually thinking, okay, well, actually I should learn what to say. I should learn how to be a, uh, you know, an MC in a, in a jazz gig. It, kind of feel like I was so young when I was doing all that stuff it was never I didn't really have that kind of awareness and, and there's a there's also a kind of like rather unhelpful attitude among jazz musicians not all, not all but in general which is a, which is like to say for example well um, it's only the, only the music matters you know people, people should come just for the music they shouldn't care what I say or what I you know and I think I kind of I kind of I kind of let myself Get away with I, I let myself um fall for that a little bit because by hiding behind the music as this kind of sacred thing which had to be had to be appreciated in a bubble I kind of allowed myself not to get to grips with the with the the challenge of having to be that personality on stage who could talk to people and uh you know again it's like a very interesting example of um of what it means to be introverted or extroverted and and, and the way that could play out in different in different stages. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I guess the, I can certainly relate to the, the, the bringing back to language learning, the, um, the, the need to talk, to practice your languages with individuals rather than in groups. And I've always felt like the kind of advice the feeling that people have of the need to go and practice with strangers on the street as you won a badge of honor. I've always felt that to be considered that to be ridiculous. And it's something that I would hate to do. I imagine it's not something that you relish either.
1: No, I I've done it. Um, but no, I prefer to do it in a more, con- I guess in a way, a controlled environment, because when you yeah. have an exchange or a, a tutor, that's what you're going there to do. And so there's this assumption that that's the focus, uh, you know, or I would say unwritten rule, whereas when you go out on the street, this person that you're talking to has absolutely no obligation to help or respond in the way that you'd like. They're just a person, right? So you might get something like in English, oh yeah, you know, your, your Chinese is really good, but they refuse to speak to you in Chinese or they refuse to speak right. to you in French. And by doing that too, you're also kind of imposing yourself a little bit on the person because this is just you know someone that you perhaps heard speak the language or that you know speaks the language like if you go to a restaurant and say okay i'm going to order my meal in korean and just use korean only i mean that poor waiters got other tables of customers and other things that they need to think yeah, about yeah and you're there with your dictionary beyond <laughs> exactly beyond helping you speak korean so i think that you know kudos to people who can do that and you know stick to it and and get through those situations but I just I feel that for both you and the other person it's more beneficial if it's a situation where that's more appropriate. It's also it's also
0: a hell of a social cost for relatively little gain, isn't it? I mean like that you know, those 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 sort of thirty second interactions. I mean if you take the view that well, you know, that all those interactions over time they add up and they make you fluent or whatever, well, do they really? I mean, it's very restricted situation, a very limited num- number of situations and very limited conversations in their, in their scope, you know? Um, I mean, I think that for me, like the issue there is, is this, this is kind of fundamental mismatch of intentions. So when we are practicing our languages, what's yeah. Okay. We're asking for information. Can you give me directions to this? Can I order this food on them? But our real intention, the intention behind the intention is to practice our language. No. Uh, we're going to measure ourselves on based on how well we do linguistically. Whereas the person that you're talking to just sees you as another human being that wants something and then you got kind of going to think okay well, that's that's the uh the level that that this, this conversation is going to play out It's two human beings uh, interacting about something that is not whether or not you've got the present perfect accurate in your in your verbs you know uh, and so i think it's um the language is where i'm not confident in or i'm less confident in become even harder for me to kind of go up to, to strangers and talk. Well, it makes me even more self-conscious because I, because I'm more acutely aware of my shortcomings in those languages. Right. Whereas with the, with stronger languages, I, I, it's not a problem because I just know that I know that I can talk to that person and have a, a, an exchange. That's about the thing that I'm asking for. It's not about the languages.
1: I think I understand the intention behind going out and talking to some random stranger on the street, because I think what you might be looking for in that situation is real world context. So not that safe environment of an exchange or a tutoring session, you're trying to get something that's more authentic. Um, definitely that's the on that. Yeah. yeah, it's the intention, but yeah. I think, you know, if I were to go out to someone on the street and start talking to them in a language that I heard them speak. I'm expecting them to be really patient of me. And then all of those fears that you have about conversing, like what happens if I don't understand? What happens if I forget this word? In a real world situation with some stranger, all you're going to do is annoy them. Whereas in a language exchange or a tutoring session, when you don't understand the person, when you forget a word, when you don't know what to say, or when you need to ask for help, that context of that situation gives you those things And lessens those fears and gives you a way to work through those fears. Whereas in the stranger situation, you're doing nothing but setting yourself up to experience those fears in a bad way. Unless you're really prepared for it, I suppose.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I had an interesting experience a month or so ago. I was in Tenerife in the south of the island in Las Americas, which is a part of the island where it's just foreigners on holiday, on package holidays. It's a, not a very nice place. I mean, it's the place itself is nice, but it's just it, it's full of uh, drunk British people, um, especially in the evening. And uh, it's a kind of place that I, I kind of walk through, and, and I'm not particularly comfortable, sort of uh, being there. And I kind of pr- much prefer other part, the other parts of the island where it's much more Spanish. So I'm kind of walking through. Um, I was with my friend with my friend Jan, and we were walking through. Las Americas to try and find an iPhone shop because he he's you know his iPhone had broken and we needed to do something with it and I was kind of walking through and I was I was just, you know walking past these like, like big groups of drunk English people and, and thinking oh God, I'm going to walk into a shop now and basically all these Spanish people who are working here are just going to see me and think oh okay another 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 drunk Brit what does he want sort of thing and I kind of I I feel quite uncomfortable in that in that environment. And yet when I walk into the shop and I'm able to then uh, talk to the people in Spanish and they realize, and, and I can, there's this, this kind of weird dynamic where they see me and they realize I'm, I'm English because you know when you see me, you know I'm English. And and then, yeah, I open my mouth and start speaking Spanish and, 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 it's, and it's pretty good and we can have a, a good conversation. That gives me a kind of a feeling of, um, of pride, I guess. I'm not quite sure what the emotion is and whether it's pride or it's kind of like pride, but it's also this feeling of being at home, which is quite, quite nice. And I don't quite know how to, how to explain it, but I kind of feel like I've kind of walked in off the street with a kind of English environment that feels very unnatural into a Spanish environment where I feel at home. Uh, And it's all down to these things playing out in my mind about, you know, the, the language that relative to, to me and the way I look, and it's just so many things going on, and that's just me in one situation. So you know, everyone has their own unique uh, hang-ups, their own unique desires, their own unique, um, you know, feelings about all k- kinds of things related to themselves and the language they're learning and the people that they're they're meeting. It's a, it's I mean it's a it's a fascinating. Uh, the whole field is very, very fascinating, but it's so difficult to pin down. Mm. All right. Well, John, it's been uh, it's been really interesting to to chat. Um, I'm glad that we didn't. I'm glad that we covered all of those topics rather than just one because we've been able to do a, a, a tour de force of um, <laughs> of uh, I guess of the uh, what would you call it? Some of the I think there's some of the more interesting aspects of language learning. So, you know, hopefully for those people watching or listening, uh because this is going to be on YouTube and on the podcast as well. There'll be some some stuff to, to relate. Any extroverts watching this will probably turned it off after five minutes. <laughs> but, uh, so I looked up the podcast episode about introverts and it's episode forty one. So if anyone wants to go and see that, they can go to Iwiltyourlanguage dot com episode forty-one. Um Shannon, where can people go and find out more about you?
1: Um, they can go to Eurolinguist.com. It's a uh, linguist with an E at the end. It's the French spelling, um, feminine spelling, I suppose. So it's Eurolinguist.com. And on all social networks, I'm also a Eurolinguist, except for Twitter. And there I'm EurolinguistSK.
0: Twitter's a pain, isn't it, When you, if someone's taken your – is that because someone took your handle on Twitter? Or?
1: Yeah, but it actually just became available. So I have it now, oh, but right. the problem is I've already built everything over the last few years on the other one, so yeah. I've yet to sort out how it's going to work. How, but, do and, you,
0: how do you sort that out?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I just – I <laughs> I'll probably keep using the one I've been using.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. All right, then, well, listen, thank you very much for the uh, for taking the time, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Sounds good. Thanks oh, all right, then. Talk to you soon. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Shannon. Again, to connect with Shannon, please go to Eurolinguist.com, and she's Eurolinguist all over social media as well, so you can find her there along with her many other activities. To leave a comment for Shannon and I about this episode, you can go to IWillTeachYouALanguage.com forward slash episode 266. That's the comment thread for this. That's where you can also watch the YouTube video of this uh, conversation if you like. Although, to be honest, if you've already listened to the whole thing. I don't know why you would do that, but maybe you want to share it with somebody. I don't know. (laughs) That's it for now. It's been long enough today. So uh, I'll see you back in the next episode. It's a short course, three days, it's completely free, and if you'd like to sign up for it, please go to IWillTeachYourLanguage.com forward slash free memory course.